Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Last night, we hosted what was the final mayoral forum of this election season. The event was brought to you by WBEZ, the Chicago Sun-Times, and the University of Chicago's Institute of Politics, and held at UChicago's Logan Center for the Arts. Now, if you're a politics junkie, you know that there were more than a few debates, forums, and town halls these last few weeks. Ours was a bit different, though. The questions came mostly from you, the voters. We got more than 2,600 responses to our People's Agenda survey, and we posed some of your questions directly to the candidates. So with the runoff election just days away, we're going to give you an encore of that conversation with the candidates. Now, we should note that just hours before the forum began, Donald Trump became the first ex-president to face criminal charges when a Manhattan grand jury voted to indict Trump on charges involving hush money paid during the 2016 presidential election. So, of course, we had to know what the Chicago candidates for mayor's first reactions were to the news. Here's Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson. Well, thank you and good evening, everyone. You know, it certainly shouldn't be a surprise to anyone um, that one of the most corrupt administrations um, has finally um, received this indictment. I mean, and the, the fact of the matter is that, you know, Donald Trump's administration and all of his cabinet, probably for one of the first times in the history of America, where every single person that he appointed as a cabinet member did not believe in the work that they were assigned to oversee. Um, one of which was Betsy DeVos, right? We're talking about an individual who does not believe in public education. Um, she has spent millions of dollars privatizing um, school districts across the country. Um, this is also an administration um, that worked to incite an insurrection. I mean, this is well documented. And it's playing out in the city of Chicago. Betsy DeVos has inserted herself and her resources into my opponent's um, coffers. Um, you know, the head of the FOP said that if I'm elected, Brandon Johnson, there will be blood in the streets. He also said that Muslims are savages and deserve a bullet. And one of another supporter said that um, do not accept the election results. All right, this Trumpian style politics that has inserted itself into this campaign is quite disturbing. And these ideas, of course, are surrounding my opponent. And so we have to make sure in the city of Chicago that we reject um, this divisive form of governance and let's accept the hope and the promise that the city of Chicago deserves, which is a mayor who is prepared to invest in people. Mr. Vallis. Well, first of all, let me respond to the question, which was the Donald Trump indictment, just for evidence that no one is above the law, even the president of the United States. Uh, I can't say that it was not ex expected, and I think there's going to be more indictments coming down the road. This also may be the first of what may be a number of indictments. So at the end of the day, a justice needs to be served. Um, let me respond to my opponent. Uh, I'm... I've never had any conversations or contacts with Betsy DeVos, and our campaign has not received any money from her. Uh, so at the end of the day, I don't quite know what he's talking about. But that's said and done as a lifelong Democrat, as a Democrat 
who was supported by Dick Durbin, supported by the iconic Bobby Rush, supported by uh, Jesse White, supported by Pat Quinn, who I ran with. I was his lieutenant governor candidate. At the end, I've always been a Democrat, and I've always supported and advocated for, de uh, for democratic values. I'm also supported by 26 labor unions, and my campaigns have, my contributions have run the gamut. Let me point out that, uh, Brandon, you're, you're still a, a paid lobbyist for the Chicago Teachers Union, and between 80 to 90% of your money has come from the Chicago Teachers Union and their affiliates. So, at, you know, it's, look, I've run an issue-oriented campaign. Uh, you can certainly see it by my website and, and my history uh, for taking on some of the biggest uh, public service challenges by invitation okay. of Democrats is not only well-known in Chicago, but elsewhere. Thank you. All right, let's move on. We'll turn now to school safety. We started the week with a school shooting in Nashville that left three adults and three children dead. So if this happened in your city while you were mayor, I want you to walk us through the 72 hours that followed. Uh, Mr. Vallis, you first. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I was fortunate uh, managing the largest school districts in four different cities uh, for only having one incident when there was a shooting on campus, and that was when a, I think a third or fourth grader brought a gun to school. It's like sh show and tell, and fired a bullet through a wall. And the reason, uh, I think in part the reason uh, uh, that we were able to keep those campuses secure, and there's no foolproof system, was because we not only set up early warning systems like 24-7, uh, hotlines, so we were always able to gather intelligence. Uh, also, we kept the schools open through the during our weekends uh, over the holidays to keep kids safe and secure. But we also had police officers in the high schools to deter active shooters. And even in the elementary schools, we would standardize our security because clearly at the end of the day with the guns on the street, it's a dangerous situation. I, m my reaction I had to respond not to shootings in the schools. I had to respond to shootings in the neighborhood. When I was at Chicago Public Schools, over 100 children were murdered in their, uh, you know, uh, who attended my schools were murdered in the communities. So we would always do immediate crisis intervention teams. We would counsel the kids. We would counsel the faculties. I, the faculty, I would go out and have conversations with the parents themselves. In fact, I helped raise money to pay for almost 40 funerals during that period of time. We had a crisis intervention fund that would immediately be dispatched to provide financial support for those families that were the victims of violence. So that is the approach that I not only took in Chicago, okay. but in Philadelphia, New Orleans, and Bridgeport, Connecticut. Brandon Johnson. Well, obviously, I hope it's obvious that the goal is to prevent these horrific um, tragedies from taking place in the first place. And that's why I'm committed as a parent who sends their children to the Chicago public schools. This is something that unfortunately within the political space that we are operating under, what we think about as teachers, as parents, it's not just about teaching kids to draw conclusions and comma splices. It's about what do we do in the case of a mass shooting? And the fact that we have to plan and prepare for that, it speaks to why we have to, one, make sure that we are keeping guns off the streets. And in my public safety plan, I laid that out, enforcing the red flag laws, which will require me to invest in doing that. Um, but it's also making sure that we are cooperating with every level of government um, to ensure maximum um, support 
and security. Look, Citadel has inserted itself into this race. They are pumping dollars into this race, right? And what they do is they manufacture guns. When we talk about the 72 hours afterwards, I just wanna make sure that I spend this last second describing what it takes to keep our community safe as a whole. Now, in the event of a tragedy, this is a part of my public safety plan as well as my education plan to make sure that we have mobile units that can be deployed at any moment if a tragedy breaks out, a mass shooting. For instance, the response that the Highland Park community received, that's the response that Austin or Garfield Park or Roseland should receive or anywhere else. But we also have to make sure that there is a baseline of support within our school communities that are that we are creating systems of care. Okay. Okay. Mr. Vallis, there are currently fewer than 60 officers in 40 CPS schools. That's down from 180 officers in June 2020 due to a big push to reduce the policing of young children and get officers off of campuses. But you told WBEZ that you support putting police back in schools. What evidence do you have that doing that would make schools safer? Well, perhaps the fact that uh, running school districts for 20 years, I've never had a, a school shooting. And, um, and, and again, the police officers were put into schools because I believe it was Tilden in, in the 1970s there was actually a school shooting. In fact, in New Orleans, there was a, like a, somebody actually came into an a athletic game and basically had like an Uzi and sprayed the kids, uh, pr sprayed the crowd. So the bottom line is, look, I believe that police officers are there to direct the shooters, not to police the schools. When the schools have been, uh, when officers have been um, uh, improperly utilized by the principals, that's when you have had problems and tension. But look, I, my opponent wants to defund the police, and the, the Chicago Teachers Union were extremely active in not only on supporting uh, defund the police groups and organizations, but also to really pressure the schools to remove officers from the schools. I believe that police officers need to be at the entrance of the schools or at the very least a police car at the beginning or at the end of the school day. There was not a police car at Juarez when that school was dismissed and two people were killed. So I believe and I strongly support having police officers at the entrance of the buildings to deter active shooters. My follow-up for you, in nearly all school shootings that we've seen across the country, the perpetrator is using an assault rifle. So explain how a campus resource officer stands up against an AR-15. Well, I think two trained police officers are trained. They're trained to basically, look, all of our police officers face the prospect of being on the street with somebody with an automatic weapon. So at the end of the day, the presence of two police officers, not one, but two police officers at the entrance or a patrol car is a deterrent. I was the superintendent in Bridgeport, Connecticut, when the shooting in Sandy Hook occurred. And I remember because when I heard the school, I thought it was the hooker school, and, and I thought it was one of my schools. And I had a teacher who had a, first, who had a child in that first grade where 20 children were killed. At the end of the day, they didn't have a police officer. They have a police officer, an armed police officer now. So I just believe that when it comes to student safety, you have to do what absolutely needs to be done. And, and, and I want to make one, one more point, too. 
even when you have police officers in every single high school, in every single high school in the city, only 0.6%, 0.6% of 1% of the city, of the school district budget went to finance the police. So it wasn't a question of police officers over social workers or psycho, uh, psycho, uh, student psychologists. Brandon Johnson, you disagree with Paul Vallis on the issue of police in schools. You don't support it. Um, so with so many parents and faculty and students concerned right now about the potential for school shootings, tell us what your administration would do instead to prevent them. You know, again, I'm a parent. I drop my children off to schools every single day. My oldest is a student at Kenwood. The third week in school, one of the students at Kenwood went to get lunch and was murdered. If policing in and of itself kept us all safe, based upon what we spend in the city of Chicago, we would be the safest city in America. And somehow that's not the case. What I'm saying is under a Johnson administration that I firmly believe in the power and the leadership of local school councils because that's ultimately who gets to make those decisions. Now, there were several organizations that made it very clear that local school councils should make those decisions. The problem is, though, that local school councils are, are tested when it comes to the question of whether or not a social worker and a counselor and someone in law enforcement should be in their building. If every single school had a baseline of support of social workers, counselors, therapists, psychiatrists, um, teachers' assistants, um, then you would not have to have a budgetary decision that limited the scope of what a fully funded, supported school should look like. The last thing that I'll say is this. I am not going to defund the police. Paul. Hear me, I'm not going to defund the police. I've said that multiple times. I have 3,000 words on my website around public safety. None of those words say defund the police. Now I get it, that's a Republican talking point. So if you're gonna be a Democrat, stop being a Republican. You can certainly Thank respond, you very Mr. Much. Well, talking about eliminating $152 million in spending is defunding the police. Of course, you've been caught on tape advocating for defunding. When you were a commissioner, you voted to reduce funding for the, for the, uh, uh, you know, for the sheriff, county sheriff's office. Claiming that you can't fill vacancies, claiming that's going to take two years when it only takes six months to, to train a police officer. And incidentally, that's much longer than to train a combat soldier. So six months is, is a long training period. Uh, and you can't fill the vacancies because you can't train the officers fast enough or claiming that retired uh, police officers will not come back when there are 300 that have signed up to come back. At the end of the day, that's the funding the police. Your only public safety plan is to basically promote 200 detectives from the field uh, into the, uh, you know, into the detective ranks when if you fill the vacancies, and incidentally, this, this, the uh, police department is paying $200 million in overtime because they haven't filled those vacancies. So it's not a revenue issue. It's not to pr appropriate more money. But if you fill the vacancies, just 
by filling the detective vacancies, you're going to have too many, 200 more. So it is a defunding plan. You've talked about it over and over again. It's not a Republican talking point. I hope to God public safety uh, is, is, is simply not a Republican talking point. I think it's a talking point for all Chicagoans because parents want to know when they're sending their child to school that they're sending the child to school, a school that is safe and secure. And right. that's what I've always advocated for, and that's the steps I've all always right, let's, taken. Let's continue in this Just vein. 30 seconds, really quick. 30 seconds. I promise, really, really quick. So you just said that I'm going to train and promote 200 more detectives. That's a spending, uh, that's an appropriation. We just talked about making sure that we are enforcing the red flag laws to keep guns off the streets. That's a spending initiative. The $150 million is being appropriated to make sure that we are investing in smart policing. I drop my children off at schools, Paul. What, right. what more incentive do I have as a parent, not just as mayor of the city of Chicago, to have a safe, healthy Chicago? I'm raising my children in Austin. I love Austin. It is one of the most violent neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. All right, in this same vein, let's let's yes. let's talk about violent crime because that's one of the top issues in this race. The city's next mayor is going to be tasked with replacing former police superintendent David Brown. You have both said that you would look within the ranks of CPD to fill that position. Mr. Johnson, you told WTTW that uh, you would begin your search in Chicago, but that you would look for the right talent all across the country. So, what qualities would the right, quote, right talent, what would they possess? Well, again, the, the, the desire is to make sure that they come from the rank and file. Someone who actually knows what it's like to be a police officer in the city of Chicago. It also has to be someone who is prepared to administer constitutional policing. We have a consent decree of which my public safety plan spends $50 million to implement it. But we also have to make sure that they are compassionate, collaborative, and competent. I am a public school teacher. One of the things that public school teachers are really good at is putting together plans, lesson plans. Now my opponent is dismissive of the fact that I've been a teacher. I actually believe that it provides me with the type of ingenuity and the creativity to be able to identify the best and the brightest who want to serve this city. The third thing that we are clear about when it comes to a police superintendent. They have to be someone who is prepared to work with our district council members, of which I organize a part of a broader coalition to make sure that we have local elected officials who also have the responsibility to build a better, stronger, safer Chicago. They also have to be collaborative with community-based organizations, small businesses, large businesses, the faith community, because not one single individual can handle the complexity of the city of Chicago in order to build a safer city. And so again, this is why it's important for someone to be compassionate, collaborative, and competent, but someone who is tethered to the community and the experiences of rank and file members to ensure the type of supervision that law enforcement wants and needs. Yeah, gotta keep us moving along. What are you looking for in the next superintendent, Mr. Okay, Vallis? You know, I'll try, you know, but I can't resist pointing out that you were a teacher for four years in a school that I built, which was the Jenner School in Cabrini Green, and you've been a paid consultant for the Chicago Teachers Union ever since. In fact, you continue to be a paid consultant. So let me answer your question. The I find first your tone order, the first, Paul. it's not condescending at it all. Is it's being truthful. Dismissing four years of teaching.
experience I, as condescending, you know, Paul. I taught at all levels, too, including time I didn't that know I spent you were in the ever United States a teacher. military. Well, you, you, this right. is the first. Just finish your uh, response, so let me Mr. Respond. Valens. First of all, I think the first order of business is to select the deputy mayor for public safety who is drawn from the consent decree community. And I've already talked to three or four people who have been involved and been engaged who would occupy that spot because the, the, cons the consent decree is not only making sure that you have constitutional policing, but you need someone who's going to look comprehensively on issues like restoration of community-based social services like mental health services, et cetera. Or for that matter, making sure that when money is allocated for violence prevention organizations, you're actually working with the locally elected police councils and the local districts to pick just the right organization. Secondly, I have said that I would promote from within uh, a, a, a police officer uh, who, uh, who is experienced and has credibility within the community, but you've got to go behind that, about, beyond that. I mean, one of the missing things in the reform is to reform the friends and family system that has people being promoted into the exempt ranks and into basically district command positions because of their friends, because they're friends of family, because they have uh, uh, political connections, etc. So you have people becoming district commanders with like six years of field experience. So at the end of the day, the key here is that you've got to, uh, I would advocate, clearly there has to be a process that you have to go through to make your uh, uh, um, superintendent selection, but I would promote uh, on the, as the interim superintendent um, someone from the ranks, and, and I would also replace many of the officers who have been promoted for political reasons in the exempt ranks. I would also draw from within the system officers who have the, the track record and the experience. You, you've said that you want to bring back retirees uh, and those who have moved on to other districts. Meanwhile, we're talking about a department that's long been criticized for uh, police misconduct and it disproportionately affecting black Chicagoans. The department's under a consent decree as well. Some experts like Kim Smith with UChicago's Crime and Education Labs, also Rhonda Porsche Bullock, who is a former trustee with the police union, they're warning that bringing back officers will undermine the reform efforts within the department. So how would you address that concern? Well, you know, I've had conversations with four previous police superintendents who all believe that you can bring back. I mean, the great thing about bringing back retired officers, because remember, a lot of these officers have retired early. They've lost a thousand officers in each of the last two years. And normally, uh, they lose about 300, 350 officers uh, the last two years. And, and the reason officers are losing, are leaving is not only because of bad leadership, but they're also leaving because of the brutal work schedule that has resulted in a record number of suicides. And, and, at the, and at the same time, because of the abandonment of community-based policing where officers are simply sent all over the city. So at the end of the day, uh, reducing the exodus of officers and, and inviting officers who have retired early to return or other, other officers who have transferred to other police departments after six or seven years on the job to return would help you swell the ranks. There are already 300 officers who have indicated a willingness to return. There's 2,500 officers out there. Okay. You screen the officers when they come back. So the ones that you hire back are the ones who have the record. The, the uh, ones who still have years from maxing out on their retirement. Uh, many officers will come back part-time and perhaps work in the detective division as analysts to provide supplemental support. Thank you, Mr. Vallis. Mr. Johnson, what would you change within the culture of the Chicago Police Department? Let me just say that if you did not understand anything that he just said, it's because it didn't make any sense. It's not a real plan. 
This is why I am supported by the top legal law enforcement officer for the entire state of Illinois, the Attorney General. And one of the first things that we have to do is to make sure that there is a real public safety plan that's smart. Part of the culture shift that we have to make is to make sure that police officers are not responding to the 911 calls that are mental health crises. Police officers are not social workers, counselors, marriage counselors, therapists. Almost 40% of the 911 calls are mental health crises. By making sure that we pass treatment, not trauma, that puts us in a better position to restore confidence in law enforcement because that ultimately frees up law enforcement to do the job that they've been hired to do. I've been a frontline worker as a teacher. No matter how much Paul Vallis tries to dismiss the fact that I've been a public school teacher and I have $100,000 in student debt to prove how good of a teacher I am, that serving on the front line, you see the trauma you see the disinvestment, and law enforcement sees it every single day. But you know what makes our job harder? Is when we have to do our job in someone else's. You can't say you support police officers if you're asking them to run into situations that they're not trained and equipped to do. This is why I talk repeatedly about investing in the consent decree, right? Because part of the consent decree requires the city of Chicago to provide mental health treatment and support for police officers many of whom were my former students who grew up in the very neighborhoods that they were brutalized in and they still said, sign me up for that. The way you change the culture is you have to change the mindset. The way you change the mindset is by making sure that not only are we providing mental health support services, but institutions like this institution, the consent decree requires institutions to come up with the policies to change the culture. We're not even spending money to invest in the policies that an institution like this could provide a cultural shift. That is my public safety plan. That's Thank how you, we Mr. ultimately Johnson. get at changing and transforming the culture by doing what is smart. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. What Mr. Vallis, yeah. one minute to respond? Yeah, absolutely. Um, First of all, I preface my early remarks by talking about restoring community-based social services so the police officers are not the only responders, and sometimes they don't need to be the responders at all. And I've articulated how to do that. But what is confusing about ending the friends and family promotion system where you're promoting police officers into the exempt ranks who have the time and grade and record to justify that promotion? What's confusing about filling the 1,100 vacancies because le a year ago, 400,000 high-priority 911 calls, including 32,000 assaults in progress, were not responded to because they did not have a police car available. Or what's confusing about getting rid of the privatized security on the CTA and replacing them with actual police officers when half of the CTA riders who ride the CTA feel that the CTA is unsafe and the CTA's operating budget because of plummeting uh, uh, usage is 18% of the operating budget, which means when the COVID money runs out, the CTA financially may not be able to function. So there's no confusion. It's a clear, concise approach at filling the ranks, professionalizing ranks, implementing Thanks, the consent decree. If you're just tuning in on WBEZ, this is Reset, and I'm Sasha Ann Simons. You're listening to the final forum with the candidates who are running to be Chicago's next mayor. We're here with Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson and former Chicago Public School CEO Paul Vallis. And we are coming to you live from the University of Chicago's Logan Center for the Arts. Now, this forum is brought to you by UChicago's Institute of Politics, WBEZ, and the Chicago Sun-Times. 
You can listen to the forum at 91.5 FM, WBEZ.org, and on the WBEZ app. I'm turning now to education. You both come from very strong, but very different educational backgrounds. So let's talk about Chicago schools. Michael from the Southwest side said, quote, I'm a 15-plus year CPS teacher. Given the enormous inflation of the last two years, even with the cost of living adjustment in our contract, it means I've been steadily making less real money each year. In addition, many of our schools are severely understaffed and overcrowded. My question is, why should I stay? What tangible ways will my life and my work life be better under your administration? I just want to give some additional context here to be clear. CPS lost 10% of its students, 37,000 between 2019 and 2022. Uh, declines don't happen evenly across the board. So while some schools are seeing under-enrollment, others have too many kids per teacher. So, Brendan Johnson, let's go to you first on that. Yeah, so thank you for that context, because I was going to say that we have lost mostly our black population, right? And that has everything to do with disinvestment, school closures, privatization. We have lost overwhelmingly black educators, right? And again, that is directly tied to the failed policies of the 90s, in which my opponent was responsible for. He was there. And not only did he ruin it in Chicago, he did it in Philadelphia, he did it in New Orleans. Everywhere he has gone, he has failed. And he continues to fail up. We cannot allow him to do that again. The stakes are too high. As an organizer, I worked hard to change, with many organizers around the state, the funding formula. The funding formula has shifted, where we base funding on need, not per pupil. CPS has not responded to that new funding formula. When I'm mayor of the city of Chicago, CPS will embrace the new funding formula. Why is that important? Because we have not embraced this new funding formula, we are losing out on $1 billion. So the type of inequity that this teacher is experiencing has everything to do with the failures of leadership. This is why my experience as a teacher, as an organizer, as a parent, as a Cook County Commissioner, because I'm the only one on this stage who's ever been elected, that I know what it takes to make sure that we are doing everything in our power, not just to ensure that those resources are going directly into the classroom, but that we are providing a well-rounded, rich curriculum, right? The final thing is this. Life changes significantly when there is more agency in our public schools. I also fought and organized with many people in this room for an elected representative school board, right? That is gonna provide more democracy to give the type of support and the perspectives from parents and community leaders who understand what their particular communities deserve and need. And so you're going to have someone who actually believes in public education, someone who sends their children to public schools, and someone who's actually taught. The understanding that I have will be unique like no other mayor in the city of Chicago. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. Paul Vallis, this longtime teacher wants to know how his life and work life will be better under well, your great. administration. Let's get back because there's a lot to uh, respond to there. You know, first of all, the Chicago Teachers Union has had a stranglehold on this district, and they've lost 18, they've lost enrollment in 18 of the last 20 years. They have, enrollment has, since, since 79, has only grown in eight years, and six, that included six straight years that Gary Chico and I ran the schools. When we built 78 new school buildings because we had overcrowding, actually overcrowding in the district, and you could Google, and I'll show you where those school buildings were built, mostly on the south and west sides, where we balanced six consecutive budgets, where I raised teacher salaries that compounded 27%. 
where I fully funded the pension systems. The pension holiday doesn't occur until 2008. I'm rebuilding schools in New Orleans by then. And when I left the system with a billion dollars in cash balances, President Clinton called the, the, our reforms a model for the nation. Now, let me just make a couple comments. Go to the website. Go to the state board website. I tripled math scores and double reading scores over a period of 78 years in Philadelphia, both the six years I was there and two years after I left. Tripled math scores across all demographics. And I went to New Orleans. 110 of the 120 schools had been devastated, had been destroyed, or were rendered uninhabitable by Katrina. Remember Katrina? Hurricane Katrina, have you ever been to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina? So at the end of the day, I had to build a school system from scratch, not under the direction of the Republicans, but under the direction, under the direction of the Republican, of the Democratic Governor Blanco, Moon Landrieu, the longtime mayor of New Thank Orleans, you, and Senator Mary Landrieu. So those are the results. And that school district led the state in academic improvement for seven consecutive years. All right, next question. This comes from Elaine on the north side. She says, as a CPS student, I'm tired of work stoppages and strikes interrupting my education. What will you do to collaborate with the CTU? So Elaine there seems to be referring to the standoff between CTU, of course, and the district from January of last year during the, the post-holiday Omicron surge when, when students lost five days of classes. We'll start with you, Mr. Vallis. Okay, great. Well, first of all, I've negotiated collective bargaining agreements with teacher unions in four different cities. I have never, ever had a strike. And when I took over uh, the, the public schools in Chicago in 95, there had been eight strikes in 15 years. I negotiated two consecutive four-year contracts that raised teacher salaries every year, a compounded 27%, did not charge them any more health care, and fully funded their pensions. At the end, I then went to Philadelphia and negotiated contracts. I went to New Orleans and negotiated project labor agreements with the teachers union down there. And then I also went to Bridgeport and negotiated contracts. So I've, I've never had a work stoppage. My approach with the union has always been to provide direct negotiations. And in other words, where I do the negotiations and, and I do not negotiate through surrogates, my approach has also been to really communicate with teachers directly. That's why in Chicago, I actually visited 440 schools during my tenure. And in the elementary schools, I visited every single classroom so I could establish a personal relationship. So that's the approach that I've always taken. And I've negotiated with 26 different unions over my lifetime without ever having a strike or a work stoppage. And, and that's the approach that I'll take with the uh, CTU. Brandon Johnson, same question to you now. Because of some concerns over your close ties to the CTU, you have said that you're going to respect boundaries, but would that work? Absolutely. How do you plan to work with yeah. but not for the CTU? As mayor? Yeah, because I'll be the mayor of the city of Chicago, and I'll be the mayor for every single resident in the city of Chicago, just like I have served as an elected official as a Cook County commissioner. There are labor unions that helped me become a Cook County Commissioner by supporting my candidacy. And I'm grateful to have the support of crossing guards, teachers assistants, bus aides. I mean, these are people who make the city of Chicago run. And I have a fiduciary responsibility to make sure that the interest of all taxpayers, which includes the workers, that that is balanced and maintained. And I've done it as a Cook County Commissioner. And look, the bottom line is this, 
You need someone who actually believes in workers, who has the lived experience of families, right? Because my desire to make sure that our public schools are the best is based on the fact that I rely upon the public schools. I don't know the last mayor, maybe Jane Byrne, who sent their children to Chicago public schools. I, I'm a parent, y'all. Like My children, my oldest son cannot attend a neighborhood high school because he plays the violin. And we don't offer orchestra at the high school level on the west side. And what I want for my children, I want for every single child in the city of Chicago. And I want for every single parent. You know, you know, but Paul, you left out something about all those so-called accomplishments. You got fired everywhere you've gone. You've gotten fired. And, and to think that you working with the Republican Party to take retirement security out of the very people who do the work as some sort of hero and calling it a holiday eight years later. Right, thank the you, fact Mr. of the matter Johnson. is we have a $2.5 billion ta property tax bill oh, because of goodness. those schemes. Got a lot of questions to get goodness to. Goodness gracious. In the interest I, of time, I, I have to keep moving. Uh, yeah. I'm going to switch gears now. Our next question comes from Phil in Oakland. Uh, Phil wants three things a Vallis or Johnson administration will do to address and eradicate food deserts on Chicago's south and west sides. You can start with that. Okay, three quick things. Yes. The first thing is the city has, has got to really open the food pantries themselves. Okay. In other words, Anwar Parr, who was a, 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 a city treasurer, and, and alderman talked about the very same thing. So what the city does is the city purchases the land, the, the facility, the building, and, and at the same time, and then contracts out with local providers as well as some of the big ticket providers because that would ensure that those facilities would remain open regardless of whether they're generating a profit or not. The second thing that I would do is it, as part of my environmental protection agency restoration, which I fully funded when I was city budget director, uh, one of their tasks would be to focus on the issue of agribusiness and not only creating and, and promoting a, a, um, a agra, a, uh, agra economy uh, an urban agricultural economy uh, in Chicago, but also taking the lead in not only making sure that obviously uh, we end the food deserts in every community, but what we also do is we do such things as get lead out of the drinking water. And then the third thing that I would do is really work with the local food providers because we have this urban agricultural economy that's already there. But in order for them to, pr to prosper, we need to, number one, give them the access to free water. Number two, we need to address their zoning issues. And number three, let the schools partner with the local restaurants when it comes to serving kids rather than the Earmarts and the Sodexos and let those local food partners, the local restaurants who will then provide the meals, also partner with the local providers. So those are the three things that you could do Thank that you. would really create a dynamic economy and address the issue. Thank you. Mr. Johnson. Invest in our community gardens, our urban farms, and move on our new green technology deal that we've put forward. You know, many of you might be aware that Diet High School, which was on the list to close, um, I was a part of the hunger strike to keep it open. And part of that um, hunger strike was about making sure that Diet High School embraced this very idea. So it's making sure that we are investing in community-based organizations for urban farms, um, of course, for community gardens and our education system to prepare for the agricultural economy that's available to us. Stephanie in Arcadia Terrace on the far north side asks, what sets great cities apart from good cities? Is 
access to safe, high-quality public transportation. I've been commuting via train for more than 20 years, and it's never been as unreliable and poorly managed as it is now. My office is 11 miles from my house, and it takes over an hour to get there. So two-part question from Stephanie. She says, one, when did you last ride the train? And two, how are you going to turn the CTA around? Coming to you, Mr. Ballas. Okay, uh, today. <laughs> so I, I rode the train today. I'm not a regular user. Where'd you go? I went downtown to um, to the Cub game. Okay. Yes, I'm a White Sox fan, and I went to the Cub game. Um, and um, and then, of course, I headed far south uh, to White Sox Park for an event. So I, I was kind of going back and forth. Uh, I have been riding uh, the the um, CTA um, as part of my campaign to really talk to the CTA workers. And, and basically they tell me uh, uh, their overriding concern right now. You know, first of all, the CTA clearly is a new leadership because if you look at all indicators, whether it's maintenance, whether it's service, whether it's timelines, at the end of the day, the CTA management is falling short. And we clearly have to uh, provide the same uh, uh, public transportation services for every area of the city that have has normally been relegated to some of the more affluent areas. So I'm absolutely committed to that. But uh, if you talk to all the transit unions, they will tell you that their overriding concern right now is public safety because the ridership is significantly down. WBZ did a survey that said half the riders, not the individuals who don't use public transit, but the riders who use public transit feel that public transportation is unsafe. And the CTA unions have told me that their number one concern is public safety. And it is the reason why they're losing members left and right. And it's the reason why they can't fill vacancies. So they don't have enough personnel to get the job done. So clearly, I've pointed out that I would get rid of the $100 million privatized security that doesn't do anything. They certainly don't have any training. They certainly can't make arrests. And me, I would use that to put police officers on the platforms, riding the trains and at the stations. Right. Let me push back on that just a little bit. You, you talk about the main issue on the CTA being public safety. Uh, you're adding more police, but there are a lot of other complaints. Um, service efficiency, lack of staff. Give us a quick plan to address those concerns. Yeah, so let me point out that right now, it, because I've met with all the unions, not once but twice. In fact, all 26 of the unions that are endorsing me, I had to earn that endorsement by meeting with them multiple times. And what they tell me right now is they're losing members left and right because the members feel that they are unsafe, that the CTA is unsafe, that the jobs are unsafe. and they have told me uh, that they have difficulty recruiting new members because people don't want to, to work for the CTA because it's part of it is working conditions, but part of it is public safety conditions. So okay. the biggest problem with the delivery of services right now is the fact that they have severe labor shortages and their labor shortages are rooted in their fear of, of public safety. Brandon Johnson, your plan to improve the CTA, it's focused on making the trains and buses more reliable and efficient, um, reducing the gaps in services, staffing up CTA. What is your plan specifically to address the increased crime on buses and trains? They're at a seven-year high. Because the public transportation is so unreliable, that's one of the reasons why it's less safe. Um, when you don't have a regular schedule that's posted that's actually accurate, it sets up situations where, unfortunately, violent acts can occur. Look, as someone who has um, been a part of institutions when you don't have 
um, direction and a plan, when you leave it to chance, chaos occurs, right? But we also have to, to highlight the fact that there are many individuals who are unhoused in this city, right, who have mental health challenges. And so that's why my plan is comprehensive, expanding bus-only lanes, giving preferential signs uh, to buses at, 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 at stoplights, making sure, of course, that we have real leadership who actually will show up to come to work, right? All this plays a part in, in, in having a reliable transportation system, but it does require us to have um, staff that's available to address the mental health crises and the unhoused crises that the public transportation system has had to absorb. And this is why the approach is comprehensive. I've said this before. Collaboration is important. The last thing that I'll say, collaborating with county government, state government, and the federal government to have the resources to provide opportunities for our young people to receive training all the way up through community colleges, which will be free under my plan for CDLs. Okay. This is a comprehensive approach to have a reliable, safe transportation system. And the last time I rode the train was a few weeks ago. I usually ride three to four times a month when I'm headed downtown for Cook County board meetings, of which I'm elected to do twice. Thank you both for your responses there. If you're just tuning in on WBEZ, this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. You're listening to our forum with the candidates running to be Chicago's next mayor, Brandon Johnson and Paul Vallis. We are coming to you from the University of Chicago's Logan Center for the Arts. This forum is brought to you by UChicago's Institute of Politics, WBEZ, and the Chicago Sun-Times. You can listen to the forum at 91.5 FM, WBEZ.org, and the WBEZ app. So my next question is about your blind spots. Uh, no matter how prepared you think you are, no matter how much uh, related experience you may have, there is a lot that is going to be learned on this job, right? And it's important for a candidate to know not just their strengths, but where they have room to grow and uh, what skills they still might need to hone. So the question is, what is that blind spot that you hope to correct when you're mayor? Mr. Johnson. So. When if you I want am, me to put it another way, how do you want to grow? No, I, I got you. So look, I'm going to say it like this. As a public school teacher, as an organizer, um, I am hypercritical of myself. I'm also a middle child, which probably explains a lot to people now. You know, I cry and laugh in the same sentence. Um, one of my challenges, look, I'm raising a family and I give a lot of myself. Um, it's a concern that my wife has. No one works harder than me. I was raised by uh, a, a man of his generation, of an 80-year-old father. I don't think he took any sick days. I think he retired with 476 sick days. But he was raising 10 of us in a home with one bathroom. And it's that type of love and support that I saw growing up that you work as hard as you can to make the lives of other people better. And it shouldn't be a surprise um, of, of that blind spot because y'all remember when I announced in, in October, I was polling at 2.3%. And here I be. <laughs> okay. Mr. Vallis, your blind spot oh, that you are hoping to correct. Well, you know, my blind spot is, is really the fact that uh, there's a lot that I don't know, but I think my great strength is knowing what I don't know and going out and finding people who know what I don't know and then bringing them in and empowering them to make decisions and in supporting them. 
um, in all of my public service challenges, whether it was city budget director or taking responsibility for the Chicago Public Schools or even my work in Philadelphia and New Orleans, I always promoted from within. I always found people within the system. My entire education leadership team, everybody with the exception of the finance people, who I have a tendency to bring with me, uh, uh, were promoted from within. Uh, so I've always, I believe, had a, had a talent for identifying individuals who can help me lead. And when I become mayor, I will, I will return to that prescribed formula, drawing from within the community people who know what constitutional community-based policing is, people who know that community schools where the money falls down to the control of the, of the principals and okay. their local school councils is the best approach to take, or, or people who know how to manage multi-billion dollar budgets. So I think, uh, you know, my, my approach is really to create a collective leadership team that can help drive the process, and recognizing full well that one person can do it alone. Thanks, Mr. Vallis. I'm going to give you one minute to respond to this one, both of you. Uh, if elected mayor, how do you reach and meet the needs of Chicagoans who didn't vote for you, who voted for your opponent? You first, Mr. Vallis. Well, Every single public service challenge that I have faced has been basically the mayor taking over the schools in 1995. Uh, you know, I was able to basically quickly rally the community by sitting down and face-to-face -face negotiating a collective bargaining agreement literally within weeks that brought labor peace. Uh, I was, I made it a point to really see the local school councils uh, as assets rather than adversaries. So I empowered them. I, I gave them the ability to select their own principles and to decide how their discretionary money and Title I monies would be spent instead of skimming the Title I monies off the top. I mean, we've got great, my whole approach to city government uh, is to decentralize rather than centralize, whether it's a policing, pushing the officers and, and, and down to the local police districts, working with the elected councils to not only work with the police department on policing, but also identifying the community-based organizations that can be most effective, or you. decentralizing the schools, pushing the money down to the local school level and empowering the local school councils Thank you, and, Mr. And, and the principals to make those decisions. Thank you. Mr. Johnson. Everyone will have a seat at the table. In fact, all of us are going to the fifth floor. And I'm gonna spend time in every single community as I've done as an organizer, um, as a Cook County Commissioner, everyone did not vote for me. The second time around, it was a little bit better. Um, but we're, we're gonna build a coalition. And listen, I'm accepting ideas from everyone, from small businesses, from large businesses, um, from community-based organizations. And it's not just making sure that this is a city that works for everyone. And, and including everyone in the decision-making process and taking all good ideas. I am looking for resumes now. I mean that. If there are people out there that love this city and love people, and they wanna work in our administration and they did not vote for me, they still get to be a part of the healing and bringing our city together. It's what I've done as a teacher, as an organizer, as a Cook County Commissioner, and I can't wait to do it when I'm the mayor of the city of Chicago. Thank you, Mr. Johnson. So now we'll start our lightning round. Each candidate must answer each question in one sentence or less. I'm going to repeat that. One sentence or less. And the topics are going to run the gamut with questions. Again, they're coming from our People's Agenda Survey. All right, number one, Ashley asks, are you going to give people a place outside of the home 
to legally consume the marijuana that the city makes so much tax money on? Mr. Johnson. Well, I've, I've already made a commitment to having safe spaces for individuals who are struggling with addiction, right? There, there's actually research One around sentence. this. Yes, I will provide safe spaces for individuals who are struggling with addiction. You're going to wait to the last four minutes to do that to me. Yes. John wants to know, what's your favorite book about Chicago? Mr. Vallis. Oh, God. Um, that's a good question. It would be easier to say, what's my favorite movie? No, but, but uh, John <laughs> wants to know your favorite book. Yeah, you know, but you've, you've, really stumped on, uh, you've really stumped me on that. I mean, what's the last one you read? Uh, well, it, you know, it was actually a, a book about the great hotels, the great high ton, uh, iconic hotels okay. in Chicago. And it was written by John Holden, who actually worked for me. And I thought that was, that work. was absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Favorite book about Chicago, Mr. Johnson? Uh, boss. I mean, it was about the, the last <laughs> mayor, the last four, four or five mayors ago. It was a pretty fascinating okay. book. Don asks, will you both agree to serve only two terms, Mr. Johnson? My desire is to serve as many terms as necessary to bring a better, stronger, safer Chicago. And if that's two, then that's two. Mr. Vallis. I've always supported term limits for the mayor. Uh, two terms. Eileen wants to know, our city has been so fortunate to have Dr. Allison Arwady as our commissioner of public health. For the last few years, will you keep her on in your administration? Mr. Vallis. Uh, if she elects to stay on, absolutely. She does elect to stay on. I, I interviewed her last week. She, she does? She does. She wants to stay. Yeah. Okay. Mr. Johnson. We have different views of, of public health. And so, uh, no, she will not stay on in my administration. Last question. Aileen wants to know, do either of you have pets? Do you have a pet, Mr. Johnson? I promised my family if I win, we get a dog, but we get to name the dog. Okay. Mr. Vallis. So I'll have one any day now. My pet has passed away two years ago. Oh. And that concludes our question and answer portion tonight. The candidates will now give their closing statements. We're going to start with you, Paul Vallis. Well, thank you very much. And you'll have one minute. One minute. Yes. Uh, a strict minute. I believe public safety is a human right, but I believe it's more than just returning the police officers to the local beats. It also means restoring the community-based social service infrastructure. I believe schools need to be community schools where the resources are forced down and pushed down to the local school level where the principals and their local school councils can make the decisions. And that's what I'll do as mayor. And I believe that budgets, the $28 billion budget the mayor controls is a community investment opportunity, a community investment vehicle. So I believe that budgets need to be invested in ways that realize a return and you're not going to really have that return on investment unless you make the type of investments needed on the long neglected areas of the city on the south and west side Thank for you, which Mr. i've Johnson. articulated detail plan thank you very much now commissioner johnson your closing statement yeah i'm asking the city of chicago to join this movement to build a better stronger safer city as cook county commissioner i've managed and passed multi-billion dollar budgets where we've invested in eliminating medical debt we have the largest guaranteed income pilot program in the country of which 70% of the recipients are women. We have put forth $100 million to violence prevention. We passed the Just Housing Ordinance that eliminated discrimination against those who are formerly incarcerated seeking housing. Look, as 
we prepare for the new direction that this city is going in. We cannot go back to the old politics. It hasn't worked. It has failed us. We have built a multicultural, multi-generational movement calling for a better, stronger, safer Chicago. No matter where you live in this city, you deserve a fully funded school, health care, affordable housing, good paying job, and a reliable transportation. Our candidacy has caught fire because we have captured the imagination of people. You, so Mr. on Johnson. April 4th, I'm counting on you to punch five. Let's bring Chicago alive. That was Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson and former CEO of Chicago Public Schools, Paul Vallis, at our forum last night hosted in partnership with the Chicago Sun-Times and the University of Chicago's Institute of Politics. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you so much for listening. And a reminder, the last day to vote in Chicago's runoff election is this Tuesday, April 4th. So make sure that you're registered and go out and vote. when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.